Here we go, season seven. All aboard. If you missed it, here's what we believe. 66 book canon. We believe in a 66 book canon. There is no more, there is no less. It's 66 books. That Yeshua, who is preached by the apostles in the Gospels and in the epistles, is the only means of salvation, as we are calling Yeshua, means. In other words, justification is by faith alone and not by works that any man should boast. Faith working through love. We are unashamedly Trinitarian. We're also unashamedly uh, doctor, believe in the doctrines of grace, what is commonly referred to as Calvinistic. The, the new covenant is not time-bound. That is to say that the, the horizon of the faith of our father Abraham is no different. Right. No, no, it is not shy of the horizon of our hope and our faith. In other words, the, that salvation was salvation was the same for Abraham as it is for us. Right. It is Wednesday, February 5th, 2020. This is Messiah Matters, number 280. Depending on how this show goes, I might rip up my notes as soon as it's done. My name is Caleb Hag. Getting ready to go visit where Einstein spent much of his time. Oh, yeah. This is Rob Van Hoff. Did you, did you get my reference to ripping up my notes afterwards? No. I'm going to take that as a no. Anyone who saw the State of the Union address last night. Oh, Pelosi, yeah. Yeah, what what an idiot. She's like, oh, we pray for the president every day. And it's like, no. I have no opinion one way or the other when it comes to politics. I just think that it's – I just thought that that was – like I was watching the end of it. And and I was like, wow, look at that. That lady is uh, ripping up the speech. That's pretty funny. Uh, yeah, she comes from California where there's needles and <laughs> poo all over the streets. Uh, I just thought to myself, wow, there's a whole lot of class going on. You know, like. Did you, did you watch the whole thing? No, I watched most of it, though. Here's the uh, thing is that I absolutely abhor American politics. I don't like politics. I don't talk about politics anymore. Um, I, I, I just, I think the whole thing is absolutely ridiculous. My view on politics always gets me in trouble because I don't understand why people are into politics. That's, I mean, that's, that's why it gets me in trouble is because people are like, Oh, who are you voting for? I'm like, what? Um, anyway, so, but I, I, you know, I gotta say if anything now, I, I didn't vote for Trump. I'm not going to vote for Trump. However, there's a piece of me, a small piece of me, that just, that just thinks it would be really funny to have another four years of Trump. I don't care about the politics. For me, it's all about comedic value. And I think that would be probably the funniest outcome. Well, um, I care about the problem. I, I have a different view. I care about it. Um, and I think, you know, that we're supposed to pray for our leaders, and and that's my attitude. And you know, I'm a, I'm conservative, you know, and so that's that's my position on that. I can't believe the subject is assurance of salvation today. I was just wondering about this thirty minutes ago. Boom, there you go. Okay, enough of American politics, something that I don't ever want to talk about on this show. Um, let's get our producers. But you just successfully talked about it for five minutes. I successfully talked about my disdain for it. Um, okay, so thank you 
to all of our supporters and to all of our executive and associate producers. Check this out. Here's what's going on at Tor Resource, by the way. If you don't know what Tor Resource is, Tor Resource produces this show. And uh, basically, Tor Resource for the past year has been building a new site. Now, if you're a regular attendee to our site, you might not see anything different, except for maybe a little bit design-wise. However, the goal of this new site is to actually make it so that you can actually find whatever you want. Um, and so the problem is, is that to implement a new site, all of our, all of our supporters are going to have to re-sign up to support this show. But I think what we'll do is maybe we'll have a, a live Q&A or something like that on our new Messiah Matters More page. So we'll give everybody a week or so to sign up, to re-sign up to support the show so that they can be a part of the Q&A. Okay. Um, that's just a heads up for everybody. Be a part of the conversation. 253-465-3205. 253-465-3205. Of course, send us an email. My email address is chegg at torresource.com. C-H-E-G-G at torresource.com. And yeah, how you doing, man? We, doing well. We rarely, you know, chat on the show. Uh, yeah. We, ch- we chat uh, about all sorts of stuff, oh, I, I guess, on the show. Yes, we do. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're trying this new program, this Zoom, to do our show today. And the audio on the entry was going in and out. It sounded a little better now. So, so that's cool. I'm hoping that this will um, alleviate some of the issues that we've had with audio syncing, also with some flashing that we've had in the video. If it does, then praise the Lord, because we tried out a couple of things. And, uh, yeah, it didn't work. But, hey, I, yeah, I wanted to share my news. I got really good news. I was excited about, excited to hear, and I'm excited to participate. Um, there was a call for papers for a workshop that's going to be taking place in June in Princeton, at Princeton University, at a place called the Institute for Advanced Studies, which is where Einstein spent years um, doing his research. But he had, that's where his office was. And um, it's a pretty cool place, pretty cool history. Print, the history of Princeton, New Jersey is pretty amazing. Um, it has a strong reformed. Uh, Jonathan Edwards was, was commissioned to be a, like some sort of overseer there, and, but, uh, but he died, I think, before he ever took the position. Hmm. Uh, so it goes, it's got a long history. Princeton Theological Seminary is there, of course, uh, that, that I believe has the largest theological seminary in the world. What are you going to teach on? Like millions of volumes. Uh, my paper was, my proposal was accepted, and it's, it's uh, a conference that talks about colophons, which is uh, in Mid- Middle Eastern manuscripts. So some scholars will be doing Syriac, like Christian manuscripts. Some will be doing probably Arabic manuscripts, and then some doing Hebrew manuscripts. Um, and the colophon is where the scribe who wrote, because remember, you gotta, this is before printing press, right? Um, sometimes the scribes would, on the corner of a outside page of the volume, would write some little note. You know, my name is Johnny, whatever, you know. Uh, the year is dot, dot, dot. You know, I, I did my best to, to copy this faithfully. If there's any mistakes, you know, I prayed God won't hold it against me. You know, stuff, right. stuff like that. Just little paragraphs. And so the conference is looking at um, the relationship of, you know, what can we learn from these colophons as, as products of, of scribal consciousness itself? Like, what can we learn about the lives of these scribes and, and how did they view what they were doing as copyists? If they were copying scripture, did they view this as a uh, pious like yeah, like a active, religious act. Active religious act to create a religious um, icon or a, a product, a devotional uh, uh, artifact, or right. did or were they commissioned and they're just getting paid 
yeah, I, they I just got want paid. a paycheck. Yeah, I fed my family for a year copying this manuscript. You know what I mean? I, it uh, and it can vary. So I, uh, you know, in my research of 10th century Masora Masoretic manuscripts, I had been aware of one particular colophon that got my interest. And so when I saw this call for papers, I just typed up this thing and sent it in. And sure enough, they uh, invited me to come and be part of this uh, two-day seminar. And then they're, apparently they're going to uh, publish a volume on the other side of it with everybody's contributions. Awesome. And Very uh, cool. So... So yeah, yeah thank, right on. Congratulations, I, man. Yeah, I got a soundboard up today. Um, so since you've been talking about Princeton, let's uh, let's listen. I'm not hearing anything. I'm not hearing anything either. Why am I not hearing it? You were bobbing your head, so I thought maybe you were hearing it and I wasn't. Okay, well, let's see here. Do I even? Oh, wrong one. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Maybe I don't have my uh, soundboard up today. I got better things to do. Oh, here we go. Sponsored by Ace Religious Supply, where they say, if we don't got it, it ain't holy. holy. Okay, great. Let's move on. I got half of a soundboard up today, and uh, that'll, that'll be enough. Um, we had some interesting feedback from our conversation last week. What was our conversation last week? Well, our conversation last week was about, um, well, it's kind of hard to describe because we kind of mixed a couple of different things. Let's read this person's comment on one of our videos, one of, a, one of the clips from our video last week, and this might describe it well. He writes in and he says, answer the question, please. Your questioner asked how they know they are elect. Okay, so there's one piece of it. How do I know I'm one of the elect? This person goes on. This is the biggest problem I see with Calvinism. Okay, should we stop there or should we keep going? Let's keep going. Many ways to look at it and question, but here's just one. If an unbeliever can do good work such as charity and abstaining from egregious things such as murder, dishonesty in business and finance, adultery, etc., then why can't a non-elect vessel of wrath do the same thing Things while in their mind believing that they are following God, acknowledging his existence, and yet in God's eyes not be elect. In brief, one really doesn't have any assurance that they are elect and have salvation. Rob said, I just can't understand, and quote, I just can't understand, end quote, how someone hearing the word every week, being part of a congregation, etc., can think these things. Well, it doesn't matter what Rob can, can or can't imagine. People struggle with these thoughts, and I don't see Calvinists really addressing that. Okay, hang on just a sec. Before I throw this over to Rob, Calvinism, the doctrines of grace, TULIP, whatever you want to say, is not a formula so that you know you have salvation. That is not what that is not what Calvinism is. It's not what Tulip is. It's not what the doctrines of grace are. And if that's what you think it's supposed to be, then you have totally missed the mark. Calvinism is a facet of theology, which is the knowledge of God and how God saves people. It has nothing to do with your assurance. Right. And, and I'm glad. First of all, thanks for the email uh, and the opportunity to respond. So I appreciate that. But I'm the first point. The first point is that I just want to highlight what Caleb just said, and that that's the first helpful thing that came out of this email, was this differentiation, which maybe we failed to hammer out in the past. Can you bring yeah. your audio up just a little, Rob? Sure. Sorry, keep going. Testing one, two, check, check. Did that make a difference? Yeah, good. Just up my gain a little bit there. So this differentiation is crucial. Right. That Caleb just made. The doctrines of grace are a, in a way, an amplification of very specific, uh, if you want to call them principles, or underlying scriptural truths. It has nothing to do with making somebody feel saved or not saved. Yeah, basically, what the doctrines of grace... It's not a method. It's it, not a, this is what all doctrines do, by the way. 
You know, in, in some of you might have seen the the conversation slash debate I had on the Trinity, um, and the the fellow was trying to say, "Oh, well, don't use man's doctrine." Well, the point is okay, fair enough. The point is is that the conversations and the debates that have gone on throughout history have been due to trying to wrestle with scriptural texts. So what the doctrines of grace attempt to do is say, what does the Bible say about how God saves people and what and who God is? And the point is, is that God lives outside of time. He is all-knowing, he is all-powerful, and he is sovereign, which means that he has ordained. Now, I understand that, that uh, people who hold to a free will model are going to say, well, he ordains, but he gives us the choice or the, well, okay, does he know what we're going to choose? The point is, is that what the doctrines of grace have attempted to do, to do is look at the scripture and say, this is what the scripture says about who God is and how he saves us. But it is not, on the other hand, for us to say, I feel good and assured now because of this doctrine that I am saved. The Bible does that for us. Keep going, Rob. I'm trying to go. There were some other points in the email, and I might we might need to go back through it again. Um, so I'm trying to remember. I, he I, says I, many ways to look at in it and question, but there's just one. If an unbeliever can do good works such as charity and abstaining from egregious things such as murder, dishonesty in his business, in finance, adultery, etc., then why can't a non-elect vessel of wrath do the same things while in their mind believing that they are following God, acknowledging his existence, and yet in God's eyes not be elect? Okay. Well, um, that that. Those are really thick sentences, so I'm hoping I'm tracking. Uh, but one example is like, you know, let's just say you've got a, a Mormon neighbor. I think we talked about this before. Like if I lived next door to a Mormon and I was going to be out of town, I could say, hey, would you mind picking up my mail for me while right. I'm away? And here's a, you know, here's a key to my back door if you don't mind throwing it in there. You know, I would have, but if, if it was a crack house, you know. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. So why is that? Well, one key thing is that we live in a highly Christianized culture. We have we live in a place where even atheists behave in according in accordance to a a in many times a biblically informed or Judeo-Christian informed morality yeah. because they grew up in it and they've been shaped by that morality in society. Uh, and and that's that's part of the situation we have in North America. The people who who in large part, let's say, keep the Ten Commandments, like they're not, you know, committing adultery, they're not stealing from you, you know. That doesn't mean they love God. They just have they've been shaped, they've been socialized into a certain morality. Um you know, contrast that with the morality shape, let's say, of Palestinians who were raised from youth to hate Jews. You know, I okay, mean, it, well, well and, and what does it mean to believe in, in, I mean, maybe I should stop and, and here's read. a good thing. I, I, I was listening to the Dennis Prager show the other day, which I rarely, it's just if I'm in the car and my AM radio is working. So I, I, two things have to be true. I'm in the car and my radio is working at the time. <laughs> And if it's the right time, I might listen to a little bit of Dennis Prager. <clears throat> and, and on the West Coast here, he's like new, or like nine to noon. So if I'm in the car doing something, okay. Well, he had a caller in that just that made a point. And I thought it was a great point. He said, look, if you say I believe in God, and I say I believe in God, we really haven't communicated much. Right. It would be like if I said, <clears throat> I know John Smith. And you say, oh, I know John Smith. And I say, yeah, he's five foot two, curly hair. And he's like, no, he's six foot one and he's bald. Then we realize, no, we're not talking about the same John Smith. Exactly. But if we just keep it at, I know John Smith and I know John Smith too, we might actually for a moment imagine, go on the rest of our lives thinking we're talking about the same guy when in fact we're not. So the question is, how do we discern whether you and I, when we're having a conversation about God or the Bible, or Yeshua, that we're talking about the same thing. Yeah. The doctrines of grace are a distilling of biblical truths 
that put the crosshairs square on the target that help people describe what it is they mean when they talk about God, what it is they mean when they talk about what the message of the gospel is, what the message of the whole Bible is, what the message is of a holy God in covenant relationship with a, with fallen man. That's what the doctrines of grace are about is, a, is targeting and clarifying those particular points so that when two people who say they believe in God are conversing, one of them is equipped to actually say like the, Oh, the John Smith I'm talking about is six foot one. He's bald. He's a bit overweight and he loves to talk about baseball. Pretty soon we're like, Oh, okay. That's who you're talking about. I had a different John Smith in mind. So what you're talking about is exactly why I like what I wrote down here. Um, Did you even use John Smith as a... As no, a no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I no, but what I wrote down was, if you want to know that you're saved, then it's very simple. Believe in the scriptures. Believe, believe in the promises of God which are contained in the scriptures. So if I want to know that I'm saved, if I believe that the scriptures are true, then go to the scriptures. Romans 10, I'll start in 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does, does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down. In other words, it's not in the heavens that you need to bring it down or in the, uh, the sea below but to bring it up, but rather it's in your hearts. Christ dwells in us and with us. Verse 7, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because, because, and here is the crux of the argument. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that is kurios. If you, if, so this is important. The Greek here is actually important. Because if you confess with your mouth that Yeshua is kurios and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, there's two things going on here. There's belief, and we could get into, um, you know, do you have to believe that Yeshua is yod Vave? We've argued before that, th that this could be what the text here is saying. I wouldn't fall on my sword for that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, condemn someone to hell necessarily because of this verse. I think it's up to the Lord. But that could be argued. So, but so if you believe, if you confess with your mouth that Yeshua is Lord, and what does that mean? That means that if someone is professing and proclaiming a false Messiah, a false Yeshua, some if someone tells you that Yeshua is actually Enoch become Metatron in a lesser Yod Hey Vav Hey, <laughs> that is not what we're talking about here. That's not <laughs> well, what Paul is talking about. Well, well played. And that's, it, that's like saying, oh. I'm talking about the Joe Smith that's five foot four and curly haired. Exactly. Yeah. We're and like, that, oh, we're not. Thank you, but it's clear we're not talking about the same. And the same thing. goes. The same goes for Mormonism. If I go to my next door neighbor's house, who might seem like a wonderful and and uh, happy and vibrant family, my next door neighbor and I go and I and they're Mormons, and I say, "What Jesus do you believe in?" And he says to me, the one that was created by a, a God that was given this world and fights against Satan and was a man and became a perfect human and then ascended to be a God, I know that he's not talking about the same Yeshua that I'm talking about. Exactly. So we have in verse 9 here, because if you confess with your mouth that Yeshua is kurios, okay, so belief is number one, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. What does it mean to believe in your heart? It means that we live according to belief. It means that we keep the commandments of the Lord because we believe that the Almighty God has has come to earth and has died on the cross for us. If someone hears and says, oh yeah, I believe, I repent, Jesus is Lord, okay, but then they, they continue in their ways of sin, then guess what? That's not belief. Belief is fear of the Lord. Let's see what the chat room says. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not doing that. I'll get sideways. Um, so I, I I think that there is a miscommunication here. 
on our belief in the doctrines of grace. We believe in the doctrines of grace because we believe that the Bible tells us and talks about the fact that the elect were a gift to Yeshua before the foundations of the world, and that he would have to do something extreme to keep this gift, and that was to give his life. And he emptied himself, came in the form of a servant, bought us so that he could keep the gift to himself, ascended to heaven, presented the sacrifice, sat down at the right hand of the Father, and that now the elect, he has sent his spirit to turn the elect's hearts towards him. This is the doctrine of grace. It has nothing to do with my belief in terms of, oh, I, I now know that I'm saved. That's not what the doctrines of grace have been instituted for. The doctrines of grace have been talked about and formulated because of what the scripture says. Now, if we want to know whether or not we're saved or not, we go to the scripture. What does the scripture say about if I'm saved? If I confess with my mouth and I believe in the Lord, I will be saved. So do I believe the scriptures or not? That's where it comes that's where assurance comes in. Assurance is belief that what God has said is true and belief that God keeps his promises. Every look, I don't care who you are. Every believer struggles with this at some point. I've struggled with this. I wrote about this very recently on uh, Growing a Messiah and uh, in a post called Does God Hate Me? I talked about the death of my brother and what it was like to lead my mind down this path of, of whether or not, you know, you start with, oh, I wonder if my brother, if I'll see my brother in the afterlife was where I started. And I went down this, this theological and this mind games path to and finally ended at the point of, does God hate me? And so in this post, I try to look at what brought me to from one point, from point A to point B, and realizing that it was an attack from Satan, that it was an attack from the evil one. Now, I'm not a person who sees Satan behind every rock. I don't think that it benefits believers to blame everything that is going wrong on evil powers. But at the same time, I think it's also a neglect to not to think that Satan has left us alone, that he didn't care about us. So the point is, is when we are under spiritual attack, we need to realize that, and that's going to lead us straight into this second email, but I want you to finish up if you have anything else to say about the above. Uh, I just, uh, good stuff. I don't remember the email, so I don't remember if we've covered everything he asked. He said something about, something I said last week about. Yeah, he I says, think, uh, here, I'll, I'll read it. Someone had sent an email and I said, I don't understand if this person's part of a community or not. In brief, one really doesn't have any assurance that they are elect and have salvation. Well, they do if they believe in the scriptures. Rob said, I just can't understand, end quote. So that's a quote. He says, Quote, I just can't understand, dot, 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 end quote, how someone hearing the word every week, being part of a congregation, etc., can think these things. Well, it doesn't matter what Rob can or can't imagine. People struggle with these thoughts, and I don't see Calvinists really addressing that. Okay, okay. Uh, I, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I'll just take his word for it, you know, and so or her word for it. So I would just say that part of my thinking, and maybe I didn't flesh it out enough last week, is that I know there's, I've had people who've come to our community after two years, they, and they've been in the messianic circles for like 15. And they're like, I never knew what grace was until now. Okay. So what does that tell me? That tells me, and I know that I know many messianic communities that don't understand what grace is. So I do understand how people go to, uh, messianic or a church week after week for years and don't understand the doctrines of grace so maybe i the way i said what i said what maybe i didn't choose my words wisely so uh i should i should clarify i do understand um what i meant and i should have clarified is what i don't understand is if assuming that the word of god's being preached 
if the doctrines of grace are being preached and a person is part of that community, it's hard for me to understand how someone after years would not have started to cultivate some spiritual maturity and stability and the ability to discern fruit in their own lives. And then the, and then the, the feedback from other fellow believers that there's fruit in their life and a growing of self-control of loving the things of God, you know, does it's desiring an increasing desire to seek first the things of the kingdom, you know, all the things that scripture points out, if you can look back and you can see a growth on that, that is good. Yeshua said, that's good fruit. That's a good sign. That doesn't mean you won't be pruned because like in John 15, Yeshua says, you know, the father will prune you, but it's, it's so you'll be even more fruitful. So all of scripture testifies that a believer is like a tree or a plant that is alive and growing in Messiah. Ha, plug for, uh, <laughs> for location, Caleb. Um, growing in Messiah. That's, that's the picture of how we know and how we are assured that we're walking with him. And he gives us his shalom. He gives us the fruits of the, the joy in our heart. And that doesn't mean, I mean, look at King David, look at Psalm 23. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for I know you, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What is he saying? He's saying that just because times are hard and we're in a valley of shadow of death doesn't mean our shepherd has abandoned us. It says he leads us in the path of righteousness for his namesake, which means it's for his purpose. It's it, the sheep doesn't know always, you know, what the shepherd is thinking or where he's taking them, but the sheep know his voice and the sheep trust him. And, and so it doesn't mean that a spiritually mature person has no trial. No, 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 no. That's not what that means at all. We are going to have trials because he wants to refine us. We're going to be pruned. We're going to, you know, we're going to be corrected when we need correction. But that's a different conversation than the, am I saved or not? Um, now, the heat can get really high for a, even a person who's walked with the Lord for decades. They can struggle. But that's why we get to the P of tulip. Perseverance, Perseverance of the, of the saints. saints. Yeah, love, yeah. love always perseveres. That's from 1 Corinthians 13. Love always perseveres. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a, faith is a gift of God, and it perseveres. It produces what God wants it to produce. Isaiah 55 such as the, you know, as the rain that falls from the heaven, so is the word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void. That's what the doctrines of grace is highlighting. Well, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of this could be uh, pointed to my own personal story and my, my journey. I grew up in a very religious home. I think everyone knows that. My father is the president or a resource. And as I was growing up, I was learning theology, right? I was learning some bits of theology. I knew, uh, you know, the story of, of Jesus coming to her, but it, it hadn't hit me. It hadn't resonated with me. And I felt like that for a long time. God hates me. I don't feel like I have a relationship with the Lord. Now, there was a lot of theological error that was going on in my own mind anyway. But the reason, the, the, one of the reasons why was because the Lord had not turned me to himself. I felt like, I mean, just like this person last week said, maybe God hates me. Should I just give up? Now, one of the main problems was, was that I was not willing at the time to give my life to, to Christ. I was not willing to say, I give up. You win. I will submit. I wanted to do it my own way. Now, there was a lot of other things going on. There were people who uh, were not acting in love within the community that I was a part of who were huge deterrents in, uh, you know, they were these roadblocks uh, for, for me to want to say, yes, I want to, I want to give. And th this highlights two things. Number one, it's not about what we feel. First of all, it's about submission. We submit to the almighty. That's number one. And number two, it's not about a relationship with other people. It's about a relationship with Christ. People will always fail you. People will always be wrong. People will always, I mean, they're humans. That's the point. 
total depravity. We are humans. Even if we've been indwelled with the Holy Spirit, we will screw up. So ultimately, it comes down to a relationship with Christ. And the fact is, is that there was a point in my life. Now, this it doesn't work like this for everyone. But there was a point in my life when I said, okay, I give up. I will submit. And that was a huge turning point in my, in my faith and in my walk with the Lord. All of a sudden, things really rapidly started to happen in my life. And, and this is the reason that Ephesians 2 is my favorite chapter in the Bible, because I feel like it's talking about me. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses in, in sin, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Messiah. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. I mean, this is, when I read, when I read this chapter, it's like, the, it's like the story of my life, from my teens to where I am now. And if you're not willing and ready to submit to Christ, yeah, you might need to rethink what's going on in your life. Sit down and, and take a, a, a full account of what's going on and why you don't want to submit to Christ. Okay, should we move on? Okay, so this moves easily into Whitney's email. Now, I edited the email substantially because it was quite long, but I think I got the gist of what she was saying. She says, the explanation given by Rob was that if you can see, looking back several years, spiritual growth and an increased love for Yodhe Vavhe and his people, then, then rest assured that it is the work of the Holy Spirit. He then goes on to say that if your faith is in a dark place, I'm paraphrasing, then that would suggest a different conversion, quote unquote. My question is, what if it somehow feels like both? I believe that I have the spirit, but it feels like my faith is bordering on shipwreck. The issue I've been face, facing is that while I am clearly growing in the spirit, giving more of myself to others, learning love and walking in truth, etc., I am at the same time experiencing what seems like severe damage in my faith. It has become near impossible to pray effectively. I can't hear yod heh vav -Hey right now. I feel totally isolated. Once again, I'm going to take this at the very beginning and then I'll pass it to you. I wonder what it means to pray effectively. And one of the reasons why is because prayer is not to get what we want. It's not to see outcome. It's not to... Uh, to, to make things happen around us, although these are effects. These can be effects of what prayer is. Prayer is to align our will with God's. So to see the effectiveness of prayer is to see that you're doing it. And that when you read the scripture, you say, yes, I submit to what you want. She says, I can't hear yod heh vav -Hey right now. Um is it Jordan Peters? I think it's him who says, now, if you want to hear what the Lord has to say to you, open your Bible. And if you want to hear him speak audibly, read out loud. <laughs> and that's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to hear what the Lord has to say to you, open your Bible and read it. Now, this is not going to satisfy the fact that this person says, I feel totally isolated. Once again, I, the first question I would ask this person is, are you part of a community? Are you part of a weekend group and possibly a small group during the week? Because one of the, the, the functions of community is to bear each other's burdens. What that means is that you need to be vulnerable enough to others to be able to say, hey, I am struggling right now. I don't feel like my faith is where it should be. Or, hey, you know, 
I'm, I'm struggling because X, Y, Z. And then have people come around you and say, okay, let's try to help you with this. Let's read together. Let's sit down and go through Ephesians. Let's go, sit down and go through Romans. Let's look at what the promises of the Almighty are. And then let's address what it is that is making you feel like your faith is waning. This is one of the main functions of community. Now, if this person were to say, I'm in community, then I'd ask, have you gone to your community and, you know, maybe your leaders or other people who are in your community and, and, and talked about these things? If the answer is no, okay, well, then we have another problem right there. But I don't think that there's some magic formula I'm going to give you here that's going to say, oh, you, you, yeah, do this and your, your faith is going to feel great. Once again, I think that feelings can be a, uh, a tool of the evil one that plays tricks on us. Now, that's not, if you feel like your faith is not in the right place, those things need to be addressed. They need to be addressed in the reading of Scripture, reading the promises of the Lord, prayer, and community. Okay. I'll, I'll give it over to you. Oh, I just say the same thing you're saying. You know, I mean, look at the Lord's Prayer. How did Yeshua teach us to pray? Yeah, exactly. The, the problem your will, is the, your will what, not, yeah, yeah. What's the problem? The problem is you have perfect, holy, unchanging, living God who is creator of time and space, creator of heaven and earth. Yeah. Whose character is beautiful and majestic and glorious and as it says in isaiah 6 the seraphim all they do in in the heavens is say kadosh 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 holy holy holy, holy. and what did isaiah do i think we talked about this last week or before isaiah's like woe is me there was no language problem for isaiah right it wasn't a problem of he didn't know his biblical hebrew right <laughs> When he's talking about unclean lips, he's not talking about he needs to learn Hebrew language. Like some people think that the pure speech is means everybody's going to learn Hebrew again. Well, there might be a time where if the Lord sees fit that everybody will be speaking Hebrew. That could be. But that's not what purity of speech is. Right. Because even all the Proverbs, when it talks about purity of speech, it's all in Hebrew. It's to people who are reading it in Hebrew. The problem is the human heart. The Holy God is not going to have coin in the end. He's not going to have fellowship with hearts that are, that are mired and uh, with uncleanness and bitterness and lust and desire for the things of the world. And so how does, what's the solution? Well, that's what, that's what the Bible is about. The whole Bible is about that problem and demonstrating God's character, God's righteousness, as, as Paul writes in Rome, I think it's Romans 3, the righteousness of God um, is a born witness to by the law and the prophets, right? And revealed in Yeshua. And, and as disciples of Yeshua, what is good in us is not of ourselves. What is good in us is the seed as it says in Peter, right, that, that uh, we've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. And he talks about faith that is our faith that is through trial is refined even more than the precious metals in the, in the earthly realm that are refined like gold and silver. That our, that our faith is more valuable than gold and silver. So as long as people are chasing gold and silver, they're not discerning the values of the kingdom. There's and, and, the, and the preaching and from the from the Pentecost or Shavuot on, the preaching of Yeshua, the gospel, was for Jew and Gentile, and of course at that time, in the mid, you know the, the mid first century, we didn't have the apostolic writings yet. But the gospel was going out in power, and people heard it, Jew and Gentile alike, often in a Jewish synagogue because God had, had brought Gentiles to start being in the periphery of these synagogue communities, just like Cornelius or um, the centurion 
you know, we learn of like in Matthew 8, the centurion who has hear, heard of Yeshua. He loves Israel and he's supporting them, although he's a Roman centurion. And he says, you're not worthy, you know, or sorry, I'm not worthy that you would even come under my roof. You just say the word because I understand authority. And Yeshua says, I haven't seen this great faith even in Israel. These are all uh, preserved for us in the scriptures for us to grow in our wisdom and, and discernment of what it is that God is doing with salvation, what it is that God has done with creation and redemption, God's character, that he is eternal, that he made a covenant with that is true and remains true and maintained within time, even though he himself is not bound by time. He has bound himself to the covenant. He will forever be called the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. That's his name forever. He tied his name to living people and humans, right? Fallible humans. Why? Well, it wasn't based on their response. He gave them new names. Abraham was the name God gave him. Isaac was the name God gave him. And Israel is the name God gave He's the one. The covenant is rests solely on him. He, he could do no more than swear by himself because there was no one greater. That's what we learn in Hebrews. Hmm. When, we, when the word of God is preached according to the doctrines of grace, meaning that the, the, the core points distilled in the doctrines of grace, it doesn't have to be called the doctrines of grace. It doesn't have to be called Calvinism. Those are just shorthand phrases we use to talk about a cluster of core biblical ideas. When those core biblical ideas are preached, that's the, the Holy Spirit will move hearts and people will know because they'll be transformed. I, I want to, I'm, I'm tracking with you 100% and I agree I think, I think I probably went a little bit astray. No, I you're fine. But I do want to, there's a, there is a great conversation and this is something that I, I think definitely needs to be addressed going on in the chat room. First of all, I understand, and coming back to the idea of being built up in community, I understand that there are exceptions to every rule. You got people, and I know a couple of these exceptions, but you got, you know, I talked to a, a lady maybe about six months ago. Her husband, not on board with faith. I mean, kind of interested in things of God, but not really. So she's trying to live out her faith with a husband who's not really in the same place. She's trying to teach her kids, but her husband doesn't really want her kids to learn these things. You know, she's struggling. He loves her, obviously, because he's allowing some of it, but really he's not on board. So the question was, what do I do? I can't take my kids to, you know, church on Sunday or anything. I understand that there are exceptions to every rule. Okay. And in those cases, okay, you, you know, you have to deal, you have to work with what you got. Find some lady friends at a Bible study that, that are willing to call you or come over once a week and, and be with you and lift you up, um, you know, have tea with you. It doesn't have to be a sit-down Bible study with Bibles open. Find encouragement somewhere in, in the truth and in the scriptures. That that's, would be the best advice I could give. But that is a, a true exception to most rules. We got a lot of people in the chat room who have said, I don't have anywhere to go. The, you know, the Christian church down the street, they don't believe in, you know, the Torah. Well, Matt made this point, and I'm going to try to find it again. This is just a fantastic point. My, my, uh, Matt says, understand that you aren't the only ones who observe Torah. Understand that you are the only ones who observe it in the extent and manner that you do. Then gently share your walk with others. Here's the point. Well, well said. Well said. Here's the point. If you're having a crisis of faith... And you're worried whether or not your church down the street is going to accept your, your keeping the Sabbath. You're focused on the wrong thing. If you're having a crisis of faith, you need someone who, is, who has faith, who believes in the Bible, who can come and, t and talk to you about the promises of God. Now, I'm not saying that the Sabbath and, and kosher laws aren't important. What I'm saying is, if you're focused on those things and you're saying, I have a crisis of faith, faith but I'm not going to have community with anyone who could lift me up on the basis, on the foundation of faith. What is the foundation of faith? 
belief in Christ, the gospel message. If you're having a crisis of faith, go back to those things. Look, I have visited, I mean, I've probably visited 50 or 60 churches in the Tacoma area, and we're blessed enough to have, you know, all of Tacoma and the surrounding areas, we probably got 800,000 people. And that doesn't even include Seattle. I have churches everywhere around me. Now, it has been a struggle to find churches that I'm like, yes, this preacher is preaching. He's on fire, right? (laughs) But there's been a couple of them. And do I agree with them on the Sabbath? No. Do I agree with them on the kosher laws? No. Do I agree with them on the festivals? No. Am I going to their services anytime around December 25th? No. But the fact is, is that I can, there, there has been maybe two churches that I've visited that I say, these people have good theology. They preach the, they preach the Bible, they preach from the word and they love the Lord. If you can find a person who says that you can say they believe the Bible and they love the Lord and you're having a crisis of faith, go to those people. Say, I need help. I'm having a crisis of faith. You don't need to try to be converting people to the idea that they should be worshiping on Saturday instead of Sunday if you're having a crisis of faith. Yeah, there's 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 been such a distrust. There's been a stream of or a strain of distrust, I think, that has built in, at least in circles called messianic circles that I know of, distrust for anything called Christian. And you know what? Maybe, I don't know. I I think at some point I probably was part of that. And I repent of that. You know, I know, you, you know, years ago, you know, saying, telling people their pastor was lying to them and stuff like that. And I was, that, that caused damage. That didn't, that didn't help advance the kingdom. That was me being zealous without knowledge. God was kind and, and let me kind of have that. It, we kind of called that the cage stage. I think a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about that. Well, here's, but, here's, anyway. here's another, here's another suggestion too. Look, you got people that you can find who believe and they might not be in your area. You got people in the chat room who are on board with the same kind of theology. There might be some differences. And I know that there's a couple of rogue people that enter our chat room from time to time who have total heretic ideas. But my point is, is you can find people around on the internet who believe the same as you. And if that's what you need, and you can't find any other place. I'm not saying that that should be necessarily your only community. Go to a church if that's what you need to do. Or start a Bible study yourself with like-minded people. Or find another family. Get together with and pray with them on the weekend. Something. Find community. But if you also need a little extra ump from people who are theologically on board with you, find some people online. Get together in a Skype call once a week. Go over a Bible passage. Pray together, something. Now, once again, it, it definitely needs to be stressed that an online call, a phone call, an online community is not a good substitute for community. That is not what I'm saying, which is why I think that it's important that, you know, and I had a guy call me, this is probably three or four months ago. He said, look, I tried going to churches. I just couldn't do it. I was, I, I was so... Uh, you know, I, I there were so many things I disagreed with. Okay, well, that might come down to, you know, maybe a, a need to change in heart to be able to love other people as well. But ultimately, I said, look, if you can't get along with other people, you have two choices. You know, if you can't find something in your area, you got two choices. Move and find a good community wherever you move or start something yourself. Start a Bible study yourself. If you can find one other family that you can sit down and pray with, That's all you need. Now, there are still people that are going to be exceptions to this rule. And I understand that. There are people out there who, due to illness, due to other factors, may not be able to find a community, might not be able to find another family that can come pray with them, whatever. Um, But by and large, 85 to 90% of the people in in the Torah movement 
who say, I can't find a community, have the ability to A, move, B, go to a church and find community, or C, start something themselves. I had to do that. And it was it's still difficult. It's still really, really hard. Community is not all it's cracked up to be in terms of think if you think that community is just this we're all going to sit around and give each other hugs and pray for each other that's not what it is iron sharpens iron and it is tough and that's one of the reasons that we're commanded to do it we are commanded to be in community because guess what it is a refining fire because we are we are i mean we're acknowledging the reality of the many mem- many membered body of Messiah, that means the ear needs to learn to say the foot. Wow, that's so cool how God made you a foot, and the eye needs to say to the hand. Wow, that's so cool that I'm an eye and you're a hand, and together we're able to do stuff. Instead of you know, the what Paul characterizes it. You know, the eye says to the ear. I'm paraphrasing now. Who needs you? You know, or the nose to the foot. Who needs you? You know, stuff like that. But um, you, you, but that's just it. You know what? I can say that I have love by going and sitting for an hour and listening to a preacher and and leaving and then being at home all week and and not com- communicating with anyone in a community. The fact of the matter is is that that you know when love is tested is when someone has stabbed you in the back or when someone's really hurt you or when someone has wronged you and the Lord calls you to love them anyway. That's when it's tough. You can't do that if you're not in community. That's when the when the rubber hits the road. Right. And guess what? If you're in community, that happens. And that's, I mean, that takes us back to the gospel message. You know, God commanded Abraham, said, you be a blessing. Right. Exodus, or, uh, Genesis 12. I will, you know, make your name great. I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse, curse those, those who, who curse, curse you. You, right. you be a blessing. And Yeshua unpacks that for us in the in the gospel. He says, if someone curses you, you don't return with a curse. You bless. If someone's abusing you, you pray for them. That's what Yeshua is explaining what, what it means to be a son of Abraham, is to stay in the blessing. And... Uh, Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough. I mean, there's, there's, there's people like this in every community too. There are some people that it just comes naturally. They're just easy to get along with. You know, they help people no matter what. It seems like they don't have anyone that they dislike, even though I'm sure that they do. And then there's people like me. People think that my tone of voice says I don't like them. You know, it's just the way I sound, the way I present myself, which is, I mean, partly the way I was raised and partly the way, you know, I just, who I am, but there are some people that it just comes naturally to love and to love on people and to show the love of Christ to other people, even people that that have wronged them. And then there's people like me who struggle (laughs) constantly. You know, I want to say to a person, you've really hurt me or, and sometimes you have to, but this is one of the reasons I think that Community is so vitally important, and one of the reasons that it's commanded in Scripture. Okay, it's been a good conversation. I think the chat room has been on fire today. You guys are awesome, and uh, yeah, we. I'm going to be completely honest. I don't know if we're going to get around to a Messiah Matters More video this week, simply because we are in the office. We are just working on all cylinders to try to get the new site up and running. We're hoping to launch in a week, maybe two. And, uh, it, I mean, we're putting in a lot of hours and it's, we just don't have any time. So, um, but next week we will definitely put something up. Maybe we'll put up our, our planning session for next week. I have no clue what we're going to talk about. Um, yeah. Anything else that you want to say before we go, hang in there, guys. If you feel like you're having a crisis of faith, Hang in there. Find some good, good brothers and sisters. Yeah, in the world. I, I would say count it all joy. Like, look, read Romans five one through five. Read James one. Right. Count it all joy when you have trials. Yeah. Romans five. It produces yeah. proven character, and 
well, perseverance and perseverance, proven character, right? Right. And proven character, hope. And it's hope that does not, it, you will not be ashamed. It, it's not hope that will, that you'll be ashamed of, but rather you're going to see through the refining, you're going to see God's glory and the love of God. It, absolutely. I see that P, PJ's in the, uh, chat room we have not forgotten about you actually the other half of my notes has questions from pj and uh we'll have to get to those next week um yeah we sure are thankful for everyone who uh, joins us in the chat room and uh, grateful for y'all being there we'll be back next week we hope this conversation has glorified our great god and savior yeshua the messiah why well because messiah matters (laughs) 